great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Amen? That is one of the greatest truths in all of Scripture, that God has made us His children. If you have come to Christ by faith, God has made you His son or His daughter. And He did this for you when you were His enemy. He did this for you when you were aliens and strangers and without any hope. Through Christ, He has made you a part of His family. We have this, this phrase in English, if, if something is kind of too good to be true or if something's just amazing, we say that it is, it is out of this world, right? Uh, the Greek language that John was writing in, they had a similar kind of phrase, but instead of saying out of this world, they would say, that is from what country? And that's what John says here. The phrase, how great, that we translate into English as how great, is actually from what country? From what country is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God? Through Christ, you have been made part of God's house. He calls you his child. He invites you to his table to eat with him. From what country does a love like that come from? And this relationship that God has invited us into comes with privileges and also with responsibilities. Being a child of God means that we are invited into this intimate relationship with God where we can come to know Him as Father, when we can come to Him as prayer, in prayer and that He is not a, a God who is distant from us or is kind of like folding His arms, wondering why in the world we would come to Him. That's not the way our God is. He is a Father who welcomes us when we come to Him in prayer. We can come to know God. This is a great privilege of being called a child of God. And being a child of God also comes with responsibility. There are certain ways that we who are children of God need to act and behave because we are God's children and members of His household. There is an old preacher's prayer that, that asks that the Word of God would come and that it would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And our scripture today certainly has the power to do that. The promise that John gives to us that we are children of God should bring comfort to those who are struggling today and for those who are apathetic or uncaring about their walk with God, it should challenge you and wake you up. There are some of you who come to this gathering this morning and you are beat up and you are worn down. Maybe there is uh, uh, just financial struggles in your life or life is just really hard right now. Your relationships with your spouse or your children or whoever it may be are a struggle for you. Or maybe there's a sin in your life that you are genuinely fighting, but you just keep falling to it over and over again. And you are heartbroken about this. You have confessed it. You have been honest with yourself and with others. But you continue to fight. You continue to repent and seek God's forgiveness. But you find that you continue to fail in that sin over and over again. If this is the way that you feel this morning, if you come into this place and you feel like you are beat up, worn down, that life is a struggle for you, this morning's message is for you. You are a child of God. You have a new identity, son of God, daughter of God. 
You are a child of God, and this morning, may that reality of that identity that God has given to you, may it land in a very soft place in your heart, and may you receive it today. There are others of you who come this, here this morning who are very apathetic in your faith. You've, you've stopped fighting sin. You know that it's there, but you give into it quickly and without thinking anymore, and you're at that point where you don't even really care much about it anymore. Your sin doesn't grieve you. You've become lukewarm in your relationship with God. And if that's you this morning, John's declaration that you are a child comes with a warning. If you think you are God's child, you need to act like it. God, would you please speak to us today, wherever we are today in our walk with you. If we are struggling and wrestling and uh, battling with sin, Lord, may we experience today this great gift of being called your child. May we rest in that identity that we are your child. Father, if there's any of us here in this room this morning who have become cold towards you, hard-hearted towards you because of sin, Lord, may this message that you call us your child convict us and call, cause us to turn around and to come to you. Amen. If you are a follower of Jesus, your primary identity is child of God. Before you are anything else, before you are husband, before you are wife, before you are employee, before you are parent, before you are anything else, you are a child of God. As a Christian, that is your first and central identity. And this was an important truth for the early Christians, and it was actually a very new thing at that time to call God Father. And we've gotten so used to calling God Father in our lives and in our churches that we have forgotten how radical a thing that this was. It's one of the things that got Jesus so much in so much trouble with the religious authorities in his day that Jesus went around calling God his Father and told his disciples that they should call God Father too. This was too intimate, too close, too personal. You can't call God the creator of all things your Father. And Jesus said, yes, I can, and he is, and he can be for you too. And so the early Christians insisted that this is what Jesus has done for us. He has brought us into this intimate relationship of father and child with the creator of the universe, the one who holds everything in his hand, the one who sustains all things by his powerful word, that he says to us, call me father, call me Abba. The two most prolific New Testament writers, the Apostle Paul and John, both of these writers in, their, uh, in John's Gospel and in Paul and John's letters, they both talk a lot about what it means to be a child of God. But I want you to notice for a moment that both of them talk about this reality a little bit differently. The metaphor that they use to describe how we become children of God are different. When Paul speaks about being a child of God, he talks about adoption. He says that we have been adopted by God, that God in his love adopted us and made us his children, who then have all the rights and privileges of his children because God invited us into his household. He adopted us. John comes to the same conclusion as he meditates on the gospel. He realizes that we are children of God, but he doesn't use the language of adoption. John says instead that we have been born of God. Throughout his letter uh, here in 1 John and also in his gospel, he talks about being born of God. 
In the first chapter of the gospel, John says, to all who received the word of God, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. In John chapter 3, where we get that, that famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. In that conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, do you remember what Jesus says to Nicodemus about what he must do in order to receive eternal life? He says you must be what? Born again. In this letter here in 1 John, John writes at least six times about our identity as people who have been born of God. For Paul and John, being children of God is one of the results of the gospel in our lives, but both of them use these different metaphors to describe how it happened, that we once were not children of God, but then we were children of God, and what it is that God did in our lives to make that happen. For Paul, it was this, this act of adoption. God adopted us into his family. It was God's decision and his mercy. He saw us when we were orphaned kids, and he reached out to us. He came to us and made a decision to bring us into his family. When we were foreigners and outside of his house, he came to us. He saw our need. He chose us, and he adopted us. But John uses this other metaphor of being born of God that actually have God's seed in us. What does John mean by this when he talks about us being born of God? What John is saying is that when we come to know Christ, that we are given a new nature, that we are no longer of the world, or as John even says even more pointedly later in the scripture, we are no longer born of the devil. We are now born of God. There is a new nature in us. John says that if we come to Christ, we are born again, born from God's seed, given a new nature, and it means that we now have a family resemblance. I have a, a younger brother named Adam, and all of the years growing up, people always said, Adam looks like my dad, and then I look like my mom. We have four children now, Katie and I, and it seems that Gloria, our number one, and Evie, our number three, look a little bit more like Katie, and that Joy and Abraham look like me. But there's a family resemblance among all of our children. And you've played that game in your family, right? You know, this kid kind of looks a little bit like Aunt Susie, and, you know, this one looks a little bit like Grandma, that one looks a little bit like Grandpa. Being born into a family means that we have a certain family resemblance. We look like our parents. And not only do we look like them physically, but we begin to act like our parents too, right? This is a scary, scary thing. <laughs> begin to act like our parents. My dad, growing up, always just had the worst jokes that he told whenever my friends were around. And so there was this one joke that he would always tell, and it went like this. Let's say my friend John was at our house. He'd say, he'd say, John, how old are you? John would say, I'm 12. And he'd say, were you 11 last year? And John would say, yes. And my dad would say, same thing happened to me. <laughs> he thought that joke was hilarious. <laughs> and he would tell it over and over again. And here's the thing. When Gloria has friends around, I find myself wanting to tell this joke. 
so far I've resisted, but I don't know how long I'm going to be able to resist because sometimes I now think that joke is kind of funny and I don't know why. When John speaks about being born of God, this is what he's talking about. That we are children of God, that God by his spirit has supernaturally put his self, his seed into us so that our lives begin to reflect him more and more. Being born of God means that in our lives we begin to look like our Father. We begin to reflect his character. Our Father is a God of love, and so over time we begin to take on that characteristic in our lives. We begin to be able to love those who are even unlovable. We begin to be merciful like our Father and forgiving like our Father. When we are born of God, we take on a new nature, and we become more and more like our Father. Being born again by the Spirit of God means that we are given a new life, a new life that no longer reflects the sinful way of the world, but instead that more and more, and day by day, and moment by moment, our lives begin to reflect more and more our family resemblance, that we begin to look more and more like our Father. Who do you resemble? In your own life, are you resembling more and more your heavenly Father in your actions, in your thoughts, in your deeds? I think that for many of us, we think that this being born again thing is only about some spiritual experience that happened to us way back in the past. Maybe we were at a church camp or a Billy Graham crusade or at a, at a church service when we came down the aisle and had this moment where we were born again. That is a great gift to us that we have those testimonies that we can look back. But if that's all that you're holding on to... That spiritual experience some 10 or 15 or 20 or 40 years ago that says that's when I was a born again, that you are not living fully into this new nature that God has given to you. We are called to grow more and more to resemble our perfect and loving Heavenly Father, to grow in His likeness, to be made more and more holy and like Him each day. You are God's child, born of God. His seed is now in you, and you are given by the power of the Spirit the ability to become more like him. In verses 4 through 10, John gives this long and extended warning about sin. 1 John chapter 3, 4 through 10. Everyone who sins break the, breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I want to begin by giving some clarity about this passage. Uh, when John is talking about sin in this passage, he is not telling us that a Christian will never, ever sin. Back earlier in the book of John, he is very clear that 
Christians, for even Christians, for a believer that sin is present, that it needs to be confessed and repented from. In chapter 1, he says that if anyone claims that they are without sin, they what? They deceive themselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and will forgive us from all unrighteousness. He goes on in chapter 2 to say, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, there is one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for our sin, but for the sin of the whole world. John admits there in the first part of his letter that sin is a possibility in the life of the believer, but that the blood of Jesus is always available to us if we will turn and confess it and turn to Christ. Amen? When John is talking about this in this section, he is talking about habitual, unrepentant dwelling in sin. He uses the word continuing and remaining in sin. Those who continue, in, if you cannot be a believer and continue to remain in sin. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ. It's the same idea here, only in reverse. A believer cannot simply abide in sin. Simply rest in sin and be comfortable there. It cannot be the constant and persistent way that you live your life. In these verses here, in 1 John, uh, verses 4 through 10, this is the part of this scripture that should comfort those of you who are afflicted and should afflict those of you who are comfortable. If you are here this morning and you have been fighting over and over again against sin, and you repent from that sin, and your heart is broken over your sin, but you find that you continue to fail to it, I want you to remind you what verse 8 says, that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil in your life. That Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. He came so that sin in your life no longer has to have mastery over you anymore that you can have victory over it. Satan wants to use that sin in your life to make you feel guilty, to make you doubt your faith, to keep you in this cycle of sin and shame that keeps you from the presence of God. And this morning, I want you in, to invite you in your struggle against sin to come to know and really know that you are a child of God. To know in your head that is true, to know in your heart that it is true, that you are a child of God. Because overcoming sin is not going to happen from just trying harder or feeling more guilty about it. Overcoming sin will come in your life when you come to know truly who you are as a child of God. Overcoming sin is going to come when you are sitting at the feet of your Father and being washed in His mercy and His grace and His love for you. That's when you will begin to overcome sin in your life. And our sin causes us to do the, want to do the opposite of that, right? When you sin, what do you feel? Ashamed. I don't want to come into the presence of God. It wants us, it causes us to want to hide, to tie up those fig leaves over ourselves and to hide from God and to run away from Him. When we sin, we don't want to pray. We don't want to sing. We don't want to worship. And that is exactly what the enemy wants, that you would remain in that shame. Overcoming sin in your life will not come from simply heaping more shame on yourself that will cause you to run away from God. 
Overcoming sin in your life will come when you run over and over again to the Father. After you sin and you feel that, that shame and that guilt, turn to him, run to him quickly, confess it. And when you come into his presence, you will experience the mercy that comes from Jesus, our advocate. Rona didn't know what I was going to be talking about today. And yet she expressed this morning that experience this week that she had. Of knowing a deeper love for God when she came and trusted in him. Jesus has come to destroy the work of the devil in your life. And it will come through coming to know your identity as a child of God. I want to speak also to those of you who have stopped fighting. Those of you who are apathetic and comfortable. Those of you who have stopped being brokenhearted over your sin. Because verses 4 through 10, there is a clear warning for you. Do not be presumptuous. Sometimes we have this wrong idea that if someone walked down an aisle and said a prayer, that that's their fire insurance for the rest of their life, and they don't need to be bothered with that holiness thing, or that righteousness thing, or that obedience thing. John says that is not what being born again is all about. Being born again is not about a spiritual experience that we had in the past, but about a new nature that we have been given that we walk in every single day. Being born again means that we are growing up with his seed in us so that we become like him more and more each day. So this morning, if you have become cold toward God, if your heart has become hard and you have begun to be presumptuous toward God about your salvation, this is a warning for you. This warning is that you may not be born again at all. Verses 9 and 10. No one who has been born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. These are clear and decisive words. If your heart is cold toward God... If you do not care about your sin, your spiritual life is in danger. That's what John says. So may these words both comfort those who are afflicted and afflict those who are comfortable. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a series of parables that express about God's great love for us and for the ways that he seeks after his children and that he rejoices when those who are lost are found again. Do you remember these three parables that he tells? The first parable is a story about a man who was a shepherd and he had a hundred sheep and one of them got lost. And this man left the 99, this shepherd left the 99 to go and to seek out and to find that one that was lost. And when he found him, what does the man do? He rejoices and he calls all of his friends together and he says, let's have a party for what I was looking for, what I was lost is now found. And there's a second story. It's the story of a widow who has 10 coins and has lost one of them. 
And Jesus says that this, this widow who had only these 10 coins, it was, it was everything that she had. You know, we may be wondering, what's the big deal about losing the nickel? You know, but this was all that this widow had was these 10 coins. And so when she lost one of them, it was a big deal to her. And so she searched the house and she lit a lamp and she looked at every single corner until she found it. And when she found it, when she found it, she said, come. My friends, rejoice for what I had lost is now found. Come rejoice and celebrate with me. And then there's a story about a man who had two sons. And one of his sons comes to him one day and he says, Father, I would like my inheritance now. In other words, Dad, I can't wait till you're dead. Go ahead and give me my money now. And he takes the money and he goes off and he squanders all of his father's wealth in wild living. As Jesus tells this parable, he says, eventually this man had to go and to, to hire himself out to a farmer, and it was his job to feed the pigs, and he was so hungry that he just desired to eat the pig food. And at that moment, as he's sitting there desiring to eat this pig food, Jesus says that the man came to his senses, and he said, my father's servants live better than me. Maybe if I go back and ask for forgiveness, beg for forgiveness and mercy, my father will receive me back into his house, and I can become one of his servants. And he goes back, and the father is waiting for him waiting for him to come back. And it says that the father ran to him and embraced him and welcomed him and said, let's throw a party. All of my friends come and celebrate because what was lost is now found. 100 sheep, 10 coins, and two sons. The way that Jesus puts these parables together is amazing. Because what he does is he increases the intensity of the story each time. A shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he loses one of those, that's a great loss. Such a great loss that he went to go find that one sheep. But this was probably a fairly wealthy man. And if he lost one of a hundred sheep, financially speaking, economically speaking, it wouldn't have hurt him that much. A widow who only has ten coins and she loses one of them, that is a huge loss. And then the last story, a man had two sons and a sheep and a coin is nothing compared to a son. And so when that father loses his son, we know the grief and the loss that he was experiencing. Jesus tells us these three parables to tell his audience about the character of God, about the love of God towards those who are lost. In these three parables, Jesus communicates that God is a God who is actively seeking out those who are lost. When each of these characters in these story are looking for what they lost, they take great risk. The shepherd leaves 99 of them in order to find the one. The, the woman who is looking for her coin, she desperately looks for it over and over again until she can find it again. The father who had the son, he takes great risk of looking a fool to himself by going uh, to everyone else by running and going to his son and then by throwing a party for this son who had squandered all of his wealth. Actively seeks those who are lost and God is seeking you today. He loves you, and he wants you to welcome you into his family. He is like that shepherd who lost the one. He is like the woman who is looking for that coin and won't stop until she finds it. He is like that father who is waiting for you to return to him. And when he finds it, what we find out in these stories is that our God is a God of joy. Sometimes we have this idea that God is this somber being. God is the most joyful, happiest being in the world, and he loves to celebrate when his kids come home. 
God our Father is seeking you and he is ready to receive you when you return to him. He's more than ready to receive you. He's ready to celebrate. He's ready to throw a party when you return to him. But you have to come home. You have to come home. You have to come to your senses, turn around from where it is that you are abiding in sin or whatever it may be, and you need to come home and to receive the welcome that he has for you. He is ready to receive you today, but you have to come home. God, we thank you that you are this kind of father who is ready with open arms to receive us. And so, Lord, I do pray for these two groups of people that I've talked about today, individuals in our church who are wrestling with sin, who are brokenhearted over their sin. God, I pray that their brokenheartedness would be a revelation to them that they love you and that they are your child. That you would work in their lives to help them to overcome these things that are keeping them in bondage and keeping them from freedom and joy. And Father, I also want to pray for those of us in this room who have become hard-hearted and cold toward you, have presumed upon some experience some 10 years ago or 30 years ago, and we have not sought you with our whole heart. Lord, bring your conviction into our life. Soften our heart. Help us to turn and to come home. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.